Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 2 this morning. to the wedding for a moment. I always get choked up at weddings. Uh, I guess at my own, I was too nervous or too young or too stupid to understand the gravity of what uh, I was promising. And now, after doing so many, um, you begin to, to grasp that, uh, uh, how things change and how love grows and, and, and the promises that they're making. And they, they come here before the Lord to make those promises. And... Uh, Perhaps, I don't know if it's good that we don't understand that gravity till later, that we, it, it takes to be matured, and, and then we begin to understand this is serious business. Okay? What, what we are called to do, how we are called to live and care for the other that the Lord has placed in our, uh, within our, our grasp here, uh, and, and, and the seriousness of it, but also the joy and the fun and, and, and all those things that come with uh, being married, all wrapped up in 20-minute service. Okay? And... and after 26 years of marriage, I'm getting the idea of that. So uh, I usually get choked up at weddings. I try not to cry, but every once in a while I do. All right, John chapter 2. Begin in verse 12. This is a great passage, um, sometimes misunderstood. And we'll see if we can get what the Lord wants us to have out of it. So if you're able, would you stand as I read the word of God today? Heavenly Father, come upon us with your spirit that we might have understanding and clarity and and that we might live in obedience to your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 2, verse 12 and following. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed a few days. And the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for thy house will consume me. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, What sign do you show us, seeing that you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews therefore said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs which he was doing. When Jesus on his part was not, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew What was in man? This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. We all know, I think, people 
who love to stir the pot. Okay? We'll call them friendly agitators. Okay? You might come with an idea and they immediately take the other side just to kind of stir things up because they like it. They like to agitate and it's friendly, it's fun. Then, of course, there are those that we know that they do it because it's not that much fun. They do it because they like to agitate. They like to make trouble. And there are those without society, throughout our society who are real-life agitators. They'll protest at the drop of a hat. Okay? There's a protest. Great. Let me get my sign. What am I writing on my sign? Okay? They just like to go and, and to do that. They'll protest anything to make sure, and these are my words, make sure the man doesn't get too much power. Now, who's the man? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> But whoever it is at the moment, they can't have them too much power. They'll leave their jobs, travel across the country just to protest. Then there are really the radicals, okay? The radicals who want something so different in society, they're willing to push the envelope to work to change society. And they're willing to to do some really radical things. Maybe they're not so violent, but they're willing to do radical things to destroy society parts of society. Then there are the really dangerous people, really dangerous agitators who want to destroy entire structures of our society, to destroy the societal norms so that they can remake society into the image that they think is right. Okay? Um, I don't know. They might be, in past years, communists. They might be anarchists. If you've been watching the news, there have been uh, those in, in England right now who are running around with their cans of spray paint and their dark clothes on and their mask, and they're spray painting buildings, you know? I I, I don't know, I guess my mother instilled in me good things. I never went around spray painted buildings as if that building was my, I had a right to spray paint that building just because I didn't like something that was happening down the road. I mean, you see people at the, uh, I don't know, what are the G8 and G20 conferences, they come out of the woodwork, and they're running up and down, and they're starting fires and trash cans, and they're overturning cars, and they're breaking windows. I never figured out why they do it at that time, other than the fact that they want a different society, and they think that by spray-painting anarchy signs on, on the side of the Ritz-Carlton in, in London or whatever it is, that, that they'll get it. Well, they're just making trouble. When we look at the word radical we find that its definition, the first definition listed, deals with being rooted, being rooted. Making a radical difference means changing something right down to its roots. We could also say that if you're really radical, you're rooted in something, okay? Really have deep roots in it. Now, how radical of an individual are we willing to accept in the world? Now, Gandhi was a radical, wasn't he? But he was a peaceful radical. Lenin was a radical, and he wasn't so peaceful. There are radical Muslims in the world, not so peaceful. Jesus was a radical. Hmm. Each of these types of radicals wanted to change something. And the desire for change came out of who they were and what it is that they believed. Gandhi wanted the British out of India so that they could, in a sense, have home rule and, and govern themselves. Lenin wanted the czar dead so he could remake his workers' paradise. Um, radical Muslims want their religion and, by default, their political system to run the world and are willing to be killed or to kill others to make it happen. Jesus brought the kingdom of God, and he purposely died to make it happen. Very different types of radicals. 
What about you? Did you ever think of yourself as a radical? I don't know whether you had your, spray, your can of spray paint or, or, or whatever. Are you countercultural? Are you willing to go and turn over cars? Maybe, maybe not. But how about this? We'll see if you're a radical in our, in our society today. Do you give away to the church or ministries more than 2.7% of your income? Hmm. If you give away 10%, you are countercultural. Okay? You are a radical in our society. Very few people do that. Okay? Do you respond with kindness when people come to you who are angry or upset? Well, you're countercultural. Okay? You're kind of a radical. Do you take offense at those who ignore or disparage God and His holiness? Well, it's countercultural because that's not the norm. You can be pretty radical then. See, what is so radical about Jesus in our passage? He walks into the temple and he sees the honor and holiness of God being destroyed, being ignored, being defamed through these sellers and these money changers. They are violating the very claims that they say they believe. They say they believe in the holiness of God, but yet here they are cheating people in the very temple where God is to be worshipped. See, in our passage, Jesus enters Jerusalem right around the Passover, and he goes to the temple, and he sees these people selling animals for sacrifice and changing money. Now, to some extent, these are necessary functions at the Passover time. Those people who are from out of town, uh, and they've come a long way because you have to come to the temple in Jerusalem to offer your sacrifice during the Passover. So these people have come from all over the geographic area, and they bring with them their own currency, etc. So they have to change money so that it can be used in the temple. There's a specific currency that has to be used there. Um, the problem with this is that the money changers were charging fees up to 10% to exchange it. Okay, 10 times the exchange rate. That would be as if you went down to Regions Bank with a $10 bill. And went up to the counter. You you went to uh, Randy, who spells her name with an I. I mean, it's one of the one of the girls behind the counter. And and you gave her a ten and say, could you break this for me? Change it, change it down. She said, sure. The fee will be a hundred dollars. Okay, that's what was going on at the temple. They were coming with their foreign money and they were being charged exorbitant rates just to change it into the money that could be used as an offering at Passover time. Now, the selling of animals was also necessary because you were, you were to come and to give a sacrifice at Passover. The best was a lamb, but if you were too poor to afford a lamb, there were other options of, of smaller animals. Uh, but to have an animal that was acceptable, an acceptable sacrifice was no small thing. You couldn't just grab one and take it up to the temple and, and offer it. In fact, the, the rabbis who were animal inspectors spent as long as 18 months on farms determining what was a clean animal and what was an unclean animal, and what might look like a clean animal now but might be unclean down the road. Okay? So what they were, you would bring your animal in, and if they looked at it, uh, they might declare it unclean, unfit for sacrifice. And they would say, but I'll tell you what, you go down to my cousin Vinny down there, he's got a good lamb for you, All right? and he won't charge you too much. And they would send them down there. And so the animal inspector was getting a cut as he would refer 
others down to his cousin, and his cousin would give him some of that money because the lamb was being sold at an exorbitant rate, or the dove or the pigeon or whatever animal was being sold. Now, you can see how this monopoly and this power, and you know what, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and they had monopoly. There was no other place to go to get your animals. They had to be done there. So to make things worse, the high priest, who at that time was Annas, he was getting a cut off of everything. He was selling the space in the temple courts, the booths, in a sense, to the money changers. So he would say, okay, well, I'll sell you the booth, but you'll have to give me a percentage of everything that you make. And he was also selling space for the animal sellers. And so he was just reaping these great profits off of the manipulation and the abuse of all the people who came, and all they wanted to do was be obedient to the Lord and to sacrifice and to make their offering to the Lord, and they were getting taken advantage of at every turn, at every turn. So you can imagine when Jesus shows up and sees this circus of greed and corruption all taking place where his heavenly Father is to be worshipped. This is to be a place of worship, and here you've turned it into a house of greed and of profit. So he comes in, and he, he grabs some cords, and he makes a whip, and he cleans house. He comes in, and he turns over the tables, and he drives them out. And, and frankly, I doubt that he made a cord and didn't use it on somebody, that he made a whip. Okay. Now, we think that Jesus is meek and mild, and, and he just kind of walked around, and he talked, and he preached about the things of heaven. You know, I can't help but think that he took that cord and he gave a couple people a whipping to get out of the temple. Okay. And you can see he's over here on this side and he's turning over the tables. And over here on this side are the money changers he hasn't gotten to yet. And they're grabbing their bags and stuffing their money and running off before he gets there and throws their stuff all around. Okay. Jesus was angry. And this is okay to be angry here. This is the right application of anger. Because it is anger in righteousness. It is anger over the, the, the defamation of our Heavenly Father, the corruption of the things that he has ordered. It is right to be angry there. And I think that Jesus coming in and overturning these tables and making that whip and driving those people out tell us, about, tell us as much about the character of God as when Christ hung on the cross. God hates sin. He hates when the things that he tells us to do are corrupted by our own sinfulness. He hates that. Yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, there is the blood spilled for Christ, but there is also a hatred for sin. You really can't love God unless you hate sin. Unless you hate sin. Because God hates sin. And that hate is manifest in his wrath and his judgment upon all that is unrighteous. Turn with me over to 1 Kings chapter 8. And let's look at some of the, the root uh, for this. The root causes of why Jesus went and, and did this. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. And you think, well, wasn't it just a place? I mean, wasn't it just a, an area? We understand that there are different places. You have the court of the Gentiles, which, which I'll talk about in a minute, and the court of the women, and 
Then you had the, the holy place and then the holy of holies in which only the chief priest could go once a year to offer a sacrifice during Passover, the Day of Atonement. Um, and there are very particular things about the holy of holies and, and every area had its own rules. Well, here we see why Jesus is so particular about the temple. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. And it came about... When the priest came from the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. That's the temple. So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. This was the temple. Understand, in the Holy of Holies, that is where the Lord dwelt. His cloud of glory was so prominent, the priest couldn't even go in there. Okay, they couldn't even be in the presence of that much glory of the Lord. This is the temple. This was its design. And here you have all these people making profit and abusing one another and stealing from one another in a place where God's holiness and glory is to dwell. Now, to jump ahead to the church and our society, we have to be careful how we order our worship. We have to be careful about the attitudes of, the, of our hearts as we gather to give him glory. I mean, the modern church constantly wrestles with the line between what helps you and I worship God and what does God say, how does God say he wants to be worshipped? Because they may not be the same thing. I mean, yes, in a perfect world, my heart says whatever God wants is how I should worship. But we all have our tastes, right? I mean... There are music, there's music played in the church, and you go, oh, jeez, I really don't like that. And then other days you're going, oh, that's fantastic, I love that. Okay. Other days you're going, you're going I, I wish he'd stop playing that trumpet. Okay. It's just loud, it's just loud. And other days you're going, man, that trumpet, when we play Mighty Fortresses Our God, I just love it when he blasts it out. Okay. We all have our personal taste and our personal likes. The issue is, is that what God wants us to do is that how God wants to be worshipped because it's not about Randy it's not about any of us when we come in to worship the Lord it's about the one that we worship and if he is pleased we have worshiped correctly if he is not pleased we're in trouble we're in trouble I mean the, the worst thing that could happen would be that Jesus would return on a Sunday and go to his churches and not recognize what is happening see that's what happens when Jesus shows up at the temple, he comes into the temple, the place where his heavenly father should be revered, should be worshipped, and he does not recognize what is going on. It is foreign to him. Well, let's take this a little bit further into our own lives. The way we worship, the attitude we bring to worship, reflects the status of our hearts, reflects our attitude towards our heavenly father what we think about God. See, in the temple complex, there was, as I said, the court of the Gentiles. And Gentiles were allowed to come into that geographic area, that, that physical area. And they were allowed to come in and pray and consider the true God of Israel. Okay? In the old days, um, in days of revival, they would have what's called the inquirer's bench. And people who were considering the things of Christ would come down front and sit on the inquirer's bench because they might be interested in the things of Christ. Well, the Gentiles were allowed to go into the courts and pray and seek the God of Israel. 
Now, what would happen if a Gentile came and saw all of this that was going on before Jesus cleaned house? They're making money off the sale of the animals. They're corrupting uh, the exchange of money. I mean, what would be his view of the God of Israel? Well, this God is just about profit. That's all he's interested in. If your first exposure to anything claiming to be Christian, um, you know, is not right, then your whole view of Christianity can be tainted. If you come into view with the, the first exposure to Christians or uh, you, you see them handling snakes, well, that's, that's going to taint your view. If you hear, if you turn on TV and you hear somebody saying that God's got, you know, there's a Cadillac for you in God's word, I, I see it. All you have to do is send me $1,000 and it'll come to you. That's going to taint your view, okay? Or if they're so legalistic that all they're concerned about is dotting the the I's and crossing the T's and toeing the line, and there's no room for love and grace, then that's going to taint your view of Christianity. The same is true here. Christ said, you, you, you really can't have this in a place that is designed for worship, a place that is designed for the reverence of our Heavenly Father. Irreverence of God that is demonstrated in this passage or wherever it is seen really is a symptom of a of a dry or ritualistic religion and faith that says, if I jump through all the hoops, then God will accept me. Okay, As if you could ever do five things and God would be happy with you, and poof, that would be uh, enough to get you uh, into his presence for all eternity. It's just not the way it is. Just not the way it is. A reverence for God is indicated in our belief of his greatness and of his power and of his authority over all the earth. Joyful worship lets others know that he's a living God. Do they just come in here and, and get the blank look on their face and it's like, yeah, going to the church again, it's good. Or do we come in and say, this is a living God, a God who is active in our lives. And we come and we celebrate that and we rejoice at that and we come and we listen for him. See, worship is about the one that we worship. And each of us comes to this place with baggage, okay? Don't, don't think I don't understand. You come because, you know, you worked 70 hours this week and you can hardly keep your eyes open and, and you're just so stressed out. You've been drinking a pot and a half of coffee every day and your stomach's hurting and you come here looking for a little peace. Or you come here and, and you and your spouse are not communicating. You're sitting next to one another, but you know if, if you had your choice, you'd move over. Because it's, there's that much anxiety between the two of you. you know, you're sitting next to your kids and, and you're thinking, if I just get my hands on them, okay? And that would be good. I'd feel better like this. Or, or, or you're frustrated because, you know, you went to Kroger yesterday and the bag boy didn't put the bologna in and you didn't get your fried bologna sandwich last night and, and you know, or your breakfast was burned. I mean, there's, we all have the baggage. And, and our Heavenly Father says, don't leave it out there. Bring it here and give it to me. Bring it here and ask me to calm your mind, to ease your heart, to give you peace so that you are able to worship me in holiness and truth. He says, well, no, he knows we're human. He knows all the weaknesses that we have, and he says, bring them here. I want you to worship me, and I want you to have a, a space and a time throughout the entire week that is set apart for God's holiness and God's character, and what he is going to say to you and I. I also understand that on those nice days, you're thinking about golf. You're thinking about 
your boat and you're thinking about gardening and you're thinking about walking the dog and, and, and your, your mind is easily taken off the things of here. And I can't be interesting enough to keep your mind here. But you can say, Lord, when I walk in this building, I want my mind devoted to the holy things. I don't want to be thinking about the money changers or the animal sellers. I don't want to be thinking about what's going to happen in the afternoon. I want to be thinking about you. He can do that. He can order your mind and your thoughts so that we are focused upon him. Jesus did this. He got the cords. He'd overturned the tables. Why? Because of zeal for the holiness of his heavenly father. It was this great love. It was this great passion in our lives. Why was he so radical? Why was he so different? Because he loved his heavenly father. So that comes down to you and I. Okay, here are the questions we have to ask ourselves today. What kind of zeal orders my life? What am I passionate about? What am I willing to go and be countercultural over? Okay? Oh, yeah, I, I love the Lord, but I'm not really willing to make a stink. I'm not willing to stir the pot. I'm not willing to go make a stand for something. I'm not willing to live outside the norms of society because then I'll be different. Of course you're going to be different. You can't be a Christian and be just like everybody else. What kind of zeal consumes your heart? What are you consumed with? Are you radical enough for the claims of Christ on your life? Are you so rooted in Christ that you're willing to stand apart from the culture around you and reverence his holiness and his character and all that he is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a privilege and an honor that we cannot fully grasp that you have laid your hand upon us, drawn us unto yourself, and placed us here today. You know we come with all kinds of thoughts in our heads, stresses from the week, the month, the year, struggles that we have faced, Lord, that we have sought your, your, your hand upon, that, that you have not eased, that you have left us there, other things that we know that you have brought healing, and, and we rejoice in all those things, Lord, but we are here to worship you. But Lord, we don't stay in this structure. We must be consumed with a zeal, not only for your worship and your holiness, but a zeal for the declaration of those things in all that we do and say. For when we walk from this place, those things must be evident in our life. Help us examine our hearts today, Lord so that we might ask the, ourselves the hard questions. What is the zeal that consumes me? What am I passionate for? Am I radical enough for Christ? Is my life so ordered that I am willing to be very different from those around me for the cause of Christ? Am I willing to live compassionately, Am I willing to live sacrificially? Am I willing to say the things to my loved ones and, and those people around me that declare the things of Christ, even though it would be unpopular? What is the zeal that consumes us? Make this real in our minds, Lord, that we would order our lives in that fashion 
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn is number 455, I Am Thine, O Lord. Let's stand as we sing 455.